everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show with a show that almost didn't happen in an area where, or at a time where winter appears to have returned briefly. Apparently, spring or is it winter? Is it spring? Is it winter? Apparently, Jack Frost has been let out of whatever Mexican prison he was been <laughs> held in for the last month. <laughs> Yeah, all of a sudden it got cold and we got snow. Yes. They were they were saying the other day on the weather that we are looking at a, I believe it's a 21-inch deficit for snow so far. Which is season. kind of a big deal since... It's a huge deal. You know, we're in, you know, the north of Ohio. It's We're supposed to have snow. You know, the fact that yesterday... We wandered around in fleece jackets, and there was rain. And I noticed that our tulip bulbs were peeking through the ground. Already? Yes, because wow. everything is confused. And then we get snow. And, yeah, now we're going to have snow. Alrighty. Mother Nature, go home. You're drunk. Yes. I, I think you have had enough. Go home now. Yes. But I'm glad to see that Jack Frost has escaped his Mexican prison. So, you know, we're bringing you a Formula One show to a point this week. It's Formula One light. It is. You know, this is this is the off season. So stories. Kind of like IndyCar. I don't know about that. We haven't watched <laughs> Indy yet. Before you start slamming IndyCar, we have not watched it yet. We're going to try and watch a couple of races this year. Um, we may even try and go to a race, an, an IndyCar race this year, but we, we can't call it, you know, Formula One light or anything like that just yet. So be nice. Okay. So this is to our regular season Formula One coverage as Canada is to America. Okay. I'll go for that. I, I'm working on analogies here. I'm prepping for SATs. I don't know why, but I am. And, you know, just remember, you can always comment and leave <laughs> us a note on Facebook, <laughs> The Bloke and the Bird Show. So. I've been cooped up for a long time today because, you know, there's snow. But anyway, back to my original point. You had a point. For those of you who only join us for some oddball reason for the Formula One stuff. We got you covered for a while. For the beginning. And then we will let you go. And then, yeah, then we'll let you go as we, we talk about some other stuff because we have something coming out of our test labs. Yes. The test lab has released an item. But, again, we are putting, but first, forth, Formula putting One. forth a Formula One show without having to resort to cheap and cheesy tactics to try and fill time. That's all I'm going to say then. So... You have some random bits of news about Formula One. The first one is Adrian Newey has been talking to the press. Adrian Newey, he's still part of Formula One? I thought he went off to do America's Cup. No, he he is still tied to the organization. Um, <laughs> they tied him to a car. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to fully let him go. I, I think now instead of taking all of his drawings, or, or instead of having to, to put together drawings for the, the car, for every single race, he, he now only has to do it for like twice a season. Oh. And then everybody else looks at it and goes, oh, that's how that was supposed to work. Okay. 
(laughs) What does he do? Connect the dots for the other races? No, everybody else tries to connect the dots. (laughs) But for those who are unaware, Adrian Newey's card, uh, or Red Bull's card designer extraordinaire, who is now part-timing with Red Bull so that he can go and design yachts. Yachts? Yachts. For America's Cup. Yes. Racing yachts. Yes. Um, He has been speaking to the press, and he has come out and he has said, there needs to be a change in the rules. Shocking! Somebody else has said there needs to be a change in the rules. Can I just suggest, perhaps, (laughs) I'm going to say something that is, I know, stunning. That there are many people in the world that believe on all sides of the subject that there needs to be a change in the rules. In fact, I hesitate to say that there Uh are very few people that think that the rules as they stand now are perfectly fantastic. True. I think that the debate is in what way the rules should change. Well, what Adrian Newey is saying is that uh, F1 needs to force equal engine supplies for manufacturers. Now, we've heard this before, and, and we have said that we you know, agree with this. The whole thing of Ferrari offering last year's engines is crap, and mm-hmm. we need something better. But he's going more than just saying the mechanical specifications. Okay. Because there is, in truth, a lot more to these engines than just those mechanical specifications. Yes, you can turn around right now. You can turn around and give your customer team the same mechanical uh, identical engine as the works team, but they may not be running the same formula. Or, or excuse me, the they same may not be software. They may not be running the same formulated fuel, and they may not be running the same software. So those two combinations could also impact performance and further leave customer teams at a disadvantage. So he's saying, make it all equal across the line. The customer teams get the same fuel if they want it and the same software package if they want it as the works teams. So in a way, Mm -hmm. let's think about this for a minute. I'm bloke in the bird racing. Mm -hmm. And because I don't know how to make an engine, which is the truth, Mm -hmm. I'm going to contract with my favorite engine manufacturer, Toto Wolf, because he's adorable. So so you're going to call Mercedes and say, hey, I need you to supply engines to Bloke and a Bird Racing, and Toto Wolf is going to go, one, who the hell are you? Yes. And then once you explain that, he's going to go, go away, you have no money. (laughs) Well, (laughs) okay, let's assume for the argument's sake that we are being funded by Eddie Jordan. And we know a lot more than we actually do. As opposed to just making stuff up. Yes. Okay. For for the sake of my (laughs) argument. I've actually got a really good point here. Okay. So Toto's team makes the engine. Mm -hmm. Under the rule that Adrian Newey is suggesting, Mm -hmm. Toto will then have to supply me with his engine, Mm -hmm. his Fuel specifications of brand X fuel. If if you want it. Wait. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I'm going to want it because I want to know what fuel they're running. Mm-hmm. And the up the latest version of the software that's running this, the engine. Actually, you're not necessarily going to want it. Wait, wait. I okay. haven't. I'm going to want to know 
what they're running. Wait, that's okay. the problem. You just figured out what I was headed towards. I don't know yet. Because here's the thing. What Adrian Newey is suggesting is that now the works teams have to flip their cards. Because let's just say that they're running, we're going to simplify this and say that the fuel is the thing that is the, the X mm -hmm. factor. Okay, they're going to run brand X fuel at a 50-50 mix of A and B parts, whatever those are. Mm -hmm. I then sit there and tinker I know that Mercedes is running A and B. I know that they have tested A and B to be the best combination. So I'm going to take A and B as my starting spot and see if I can't tweak A and B by adding maybe a C component. And maybe if I take, if I run my test at what A and B fuel will give me, and it gives me X horse, horsepower out. Mm-hmm then all I have to do is X Delta 1, and I've got a better engine than they're telling me, and they can't change their formula. Well, I was going to say, where, where that whole piece falls apart is, again, going back to the fuel supply. Okay, it's great that Mercedes can get whatever fuel that they need. I, I, who is their fuel partner? Patronus. Yeah, that's right. Patronus. So Patronus, total brain <laughs> So Patronus gives them <laughs> big the words spe all yeah. over their car. Well, I, I was I, I've already moved on to the next team, but Mer Mercedes gets from Patronus special super crushed uh, unicorn horns fuel that makes their cars go super fast. Right. But if you are Force India, whose fuel partner is possibly Total. They have different crushed unicorn fuel, and that formulation is going to be different. And because there's a lot of money that comes from those fuel sponsorships, even though, yes, the Mercedes engine that they're getting from Mercedes runs best on the Patronus crushed unicorn horn fuel, the Force India can't use that fuel because their partner is Total. But wouldn't or Force if, India you know, have you're to? Getting, I don't know. Wouldn't Petey Mercedes base some money because your crashy driver, <laughs> your yeah. crashy McCrasherson? But wouldn't Mercedes have to reveal what the crushed unicorn horn um, formulation is? No, based on what Newey's proposing. It's just that it's Patronus brand X. Yes, if you want Patro if you want to run Patronus crushed unicorn horn fuel in your car, you can do that. However, if you want to go and and run Total's sperm whale oil fuel instead, you could do that. It's your choice. And Shell uses spotted owl fuel, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Leviathan. Excellent. I want whatever company uses Leviathan fuel. Exxon is polar bear, polar bear blood extract. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. It, but the problem is that we do not have a, a car on the grid using extract of Leviathan. Yet. They will now. Bernie will find a way. They, they will now. They've heard it here on The Bloke and the Bird that that will win you the championship. Okay, so moving on. Max Mosley. Mad Max? 
Mad Max Mosley. Former he's not FIA dead yet. He's not dead. No, he because he's not nearly as old and decrepit as Bernie Eccleston. Can I just take a side note and just tell you that as a complete absolute aside, Michael and I were having dinner with friends last night and talking about Formula One as one does. And the financial stylings of one Bernard Eccleston? Yes. And the gentleman that we were having a dinner with declaration was would that man just die already (laughs) (laughs) and there was cheers from the table it was fantastic it was a moment he is arguably the least popular man in formula one truly truly but anyway back to max mosley okay so max max mosley the former fia president not the current one and bernie of the bad hair bernie lackey they they crony Crony. I think is the better, best way to put it, because uh, the two of them were lackeys manage, of each other. So, yeah, cronies. yeah they, they did manage to exert a decent amount of control over the sport to get it to do some stuff. But one of Max's trademarks was that he pushed really hard for a variety of cost cutting measures. That's what he was looking. He admitted that, you know, Formula One just cost too dang much. OK, so he has thrown out his proposal for Formula One to uh, further reduce costs. And how is he going to to reduce costs of Formula One? Well, he said, you know, the current problem with costs revolves around engine costs and supply. We, we've heard this before. These current Formula engines are, are super expensive. expensive. And I believe the limit now... Uh, for teams when it comes to using engines is supposed to be four engines a season. Mm-hmm. So Max proposes that what Formula One should do to cut costs is to ch- cut that number down to two engines a season per driver. Poor McLaren. They wouldn't get out of Malaysia. Well, see, that's... This is where I think this idea is just wackadoodle crazy because, okay, we were at four engines this year and even faced with the prospect of 300 grid penalties, we still had teams that used upwards of 12 engines last season and it didn't stop it. Well, when you have an engine blow up, what is your alternative? Well, the idea is that you make it more reliable so it can last longer and you don't have that problem. But, but if once you can, the season starts and you realize you have an unreliable engine, you can't make something more reliable when it is already unreliable. That is like trying to make a Yugo or Mercedes when it's already a Yugo. Well, it's not just that, but there's just so far back they can push you back into the grid. They can give you all the 300 grid penalties you want. The bottom line is you're still starting in 21 and 22. Well, unless they institute, and I think this is a viable option, that they start you at a previous race. <laughs> yes, you're in Hungary, but your cars are star- your cars are going to be running in Silverstone. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, the, the only option, the only way, viable way I could see that them see the FIA pulling this off would be for them to turn around and say is, okay, once you have hit your two engines and you have blown up your two engines, you're done for the season. You either figure out a way to rebuild those two engines so that you can get them back in, in play 
or there's no more racing for you. The problem with that is, again, if you have another season like we just had, by the time you hit, oh, Japan, there's going to be four cars on the track. And that's not going to be very popular. I've got another thought for you. Okay. Apparently, Max is not very good at math. Mm-hmm. Let's do a little. Let's do a little fake math. He thinks that by limiting the number of engines that you can possibly use in a season, that he's saving money. Yes. If an engine costs a thousand dollars, which it does not, and just don't quote me on any of this, mm-hmm. he's costing the teams four thousand dollars at two engines per driver, mm-hmm. limiting the the engines giving them penalties so that they don't waste engines which is not the reason why they keep buying engines max but that's all fine and good well it kind of is but no they're not buying engines to waste them no not they're to not waste them. they're not taking the grid penalties because oh look we have extra money we'll spend it in extra engines they're doing it because their engines blew up. Their engines were unreliable. They had a problem. They need to get guys back on the grid. Now, let's just say, for instance, my math may or may not hold true on this, that for every time you change an engine, you lose a place in the constructor's series. Because, here's my, my thought, mm-hmm. you have to start basically at the back of the grid for that season that's that upcoming race you probably did not finish the prior race so you're starting out on the back foot for at least two races because you lost an engine in there so So then you you end up giving up prize money also you're going to give up prize money which in the long run is going to make the sport not less expensive but actually more expensive because you're going to create a greater gulf between the haves and the have-nots well you've got that you you also make it that much more difficult for the engine manufacturers he, he contends that by only needing to just supply basically four engines a team, that he's halving the supply costs for the manufacturers, and he's halving the production costs for the manufacturers because they don't need to produce as many engines. They don't need to have as many parts. Again, assuming that they worked and they were competitive. that That's his argument. But that's not based in any sort of practical reality. Well, th- there's also that... A large chunk of the cost of the current engines aren't for the engines themselves. It's to underwrite all of the development work and design work that came to build that engine. And whether you make two engines or four engines or 14 engines, those development costs still need to get recouped. Well, this is, I mean, this is no different than a pharmacy model. The first pill is millions of dollars. The mm-hmm. second one is a buck fifty. I mean, that's what that's the way this this works. But the truth is, it's not realistic. It is, it would be more realistic and a cost cutting measure instead of limiting the number of engines that they can actually use in a season to look back over the past 10 years and say that the average team has used six engines per driver. <clears throat> Now, think this through. The average team has used six engines per driver. Okay, yeah, I guess you could consider McLaren and Red Bull uh, outliers. Yeah. Okay, so six engines per driver, that's 12 engines per team, 
your budgetary cap for engines is $120,000, $10,000 an engine, whatever made up number you're going to use, and do it that way. If you were building a really good engine, you could build five of them and spend $120,000. But if you need to turn over a lot of engines, you might have to build 12 of them. Or you might have to build, you know, 100 of them. But you still have a budgetary cap. Yeah. Make it a dollar cap, not a number cap. Maybe that way you keep the team on the grid, but maybe as the season evolves, they have a less expensive engine coming on. The, The issue, though, goes back to by limiting those numbers, is it possible to pro to profitably develop an engine a competitive engine well okay then we have to go back to answering the fundamental question that nobody wants to ask why does formula what's the point of formula one Mm -hmm. is it pinnacle of engineering or is it something else if it is to be the pinnacle of motorsport the marriage of technology and sportsmanship and competitive driving then all bets need to be off on the caps along the way. I mean, that's the reality. And I hate to say it that way, and I know that it sounds like I'm an elitist snob, and I realize that that means that you could buy your way into a series, but did we not have that for four straight years when Red Bull was dominating, that they bought their way in to the championship? Well, what, and, and this predates our viewership of Formula One. What Formula One is truly trying to figure out still how to come to grips with after, what has it been, 10 years since the tobacco money went away? The truth of the matter was when the sport was funded by Big Tobacco, the money coming in from Big Tobacco was bottomless. Mm -hmm. There were blank checks handed to teams, and it's why a team could turn around and literally run – four engines in a weekend because they replace an engine after the, the practices. They replace the engine after qualifying. They'd replace the engine after uh, or, or before uh, the race. And they'd go through en- and they'd have multiple chassis sitting there that they'd go through and there'd be a practice, practice cha- chassis and a qualifying one and a race one. And there was the, road team that was actually competing and then there was side by side the actual test team that was doing unlimited testing at a private track somewhere all that money dried up and went away and formula one still trying to figure out how to come to grips with it all right so i'm gonna make this wild suggestion there's a company in in california with a big g on its uh, roof and another one that's got a Fruit is its logo, and another one that's got a funky window thing that really should be more involved? Nope. Not even that. It's an amazing concept. It's called budgeting. (laughs) And I'm sorry, your big bottomless pit of money dried up. But you know what? It dried up for everybody. Regu- but some got better at figuring out how to get some the money people than budget better. Some people had bigger pockets. Uh, no, see, I won't say they they budget better. Mercedes doesn't necessarily budget better. They have bigger pockets. 
pockets. Yeah, and that's a difference. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But you can't regulate fairness in the sport. You can't regulate fairness in any professional sport. I'm sorry. Until you watch that movie Moneyball, we're not having this conversation again. (laughs) That is your homework. Do it this week so we can have this conversation again. Maybe. Okay, moving on then. She may be retired, but Susie Wolf is back in the news. She is. She is partnering with the UK Motorsports Authority to launch an initiative aimed at increasing the number of women involved in motorsport. Good for her. Um, In theory, she plans to start with motorsport and then move into other environments as well. Um, She says she never set out to become a role model, but somehow she did. Because, well, you know, you got into big name team and you got press behind you. And that's what happens. She may not have ever started to do it. But the reality is when you're one of the few doing anything, I don't care what makes you different. When you're one of the few, you are a role model. Yeah. Anytime that you're a low number of something that does something a woman in motorsports is going to stand out lewis hamilton is a a black man in motorsports is going to stand out whenever you are in the single digits of something you become a role model you don't have to set out to do that you know i don't think anybody sits in their bed at five years old and says i'm gonna be a role model to do x I think that it becomes, I follow my dream and then wake up one day and go, you know something, there's about four other people that look like me that are doing this. And somebody notices in the press or she marries the right good-looking Austrian, Hmm. you know? So another notable woman in motorsports has made the news. Now, if you'll recall, we have said many times that Back in the 50s and 60s, unlike how it is now, there were a lot more women involved in motorsports and a lot more women driving. Right. Well, the first woman to complete in a Formula One World Champion Grand Prix, Maria Teresa Filippis, died this past week at the age of 89. Aww. She started three Grand Prix in 1958. 1958, huh? Um, her only finish, though, came in her debut her debut race at Spa, where she was the last classified finisher in 10th. Now, earlier that year, she had failed to qualify her Maserati 250F in Monaco, and she would again fail to make the grid a year later for Porsche. Now, she walked away from the sport following the death of her team owner, Jean Berra later that year saying in an interview with the Observer in 2006 that too many of her friends had died. Mm. What what was the race that she finished? Spa in 1958 where she was the last classified finisher at in 10th place. Are you checking our big book of Formula 1? I'm checking the big book of everything just to double check if she is listed. Um, off the top, no, but I'm just looking to see if there's anything special in the notes. Nothing in 1958 for Spa, huh? Well, there is something for 1958 in Spa, but no, nothing specific about her. 
Um, which kind of tells me that probably, you know, it wasn't being called out as all that interesting. Just checking the facts and folklore section, too. Oh, yeah, because that doesn't show the full list of competitors, does it? No, it's only the top six uh, uh, Yeah, well, finishers. that would do it then. Moss won that year, was the first driver to win in a rear engine car, just mm. as a side note. Now, that looks like it was a lot of Fangio-Moss uh, competition that year, but nothing being pulled out of... Um, our great big book. Our great big book about her specifically, which I find interesting. Oh, but there is an odd connection to our top story. Okay. In 1958, Adrian Newey was born. All Oh, she is mentioned. I caught it at the very end. And it says? I'm coming. Hang on. At Spa, Senorita Maria de la Fipe became the first woman to compete in a championship race, while at Monaco, a certain Bernard Charles Ecclestone failed to qualify um, at Connaught. 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 All righty. Yep. That was fascinating. It's a little fun factoid (laughs) moment. So, Paul Hembry has come out. Uh, you know, this is going to be a challenging year for Pirelli and tires and com- as the rules change a bit. He has said that uh, they're trying to recreate that performance cliff. This is where, you know, the tires get to a point where performance completely falls off. In a non-dangerous way? You mean not exploding tires? Yeah. I thought they had done this. I didn't know this had gone away. But <laughs> there you go. Paul Hembry <laughs> says they're trying to bring it back. And we didn't know it was gone. All righty. <laughs> Um, Ferrari has come out and said that they delayed work on their 2016 F1 car to go and put more effort into the 2015 push. I think this may be telling about what they're prepping for the beginning part of 2016. Well, what should be very interesting about this car is, you know, James James Allison joined the team last year. We heard from him quite a few times last year with the, the success that they had. However, the car that they ran last year was not a James Allison-designed car mm-hmm. because he came, I believe, after the end of the season is when he came to the team. And at that point, they were pretty far along in their design work and, and efforts for the 2015 car. Right. The 2016 car will be a James Allison-designed car. So this could be very interesting. It could be. Other news, Haas... Their car has passed the FIA crash tests, which means they are clear to run at the winter tests. Congratulations, Haas. Also in news, the Renault, or excuse me, the Lotus F1 team sign has been removed from the building in Banbury. Ooh, has a Renault sign been put up? There has not been a sign that has gone up. Ooh. Yeah. So some of the questions coming 2016. We've, we, we've got some questions this year. Questions? You know, we know Austin's in jeopardy. Yes. And there's the possibility that the race may even happen this year. Apparently, Russia is also coming under question. Um, I don't know if it's because they don't have the money or the money's fading away, but apparently Formula One has not quite captured the imagination of the Russian public like they expected it to. Then you combine that with the the falling oil prices and the value of the Russian ruble 
has dropped as well. Oh. So, yeah, Bernie's payments may go up, but the Russian currency appears to be going down. Well, is his is his payment in rubles? I mean, with inflation, if his payment's in rubles, they could actually get a deal. You know, I don't think so. Because, again, if that convert, I'm sure actually that it's in euro, and if that conversion rate is dropped, they may be taking in the same amount of money at the turnstiles, but it's worth less in euros. Right, but that's if the contract's written in euros. I would bet it's written in euros. Yeah. Since that's, you know, where Bernie is. You see that or in pounds. Yeah. Well, um, it depends on how, how how can he evade taxes the easiest. But we've also heard that Spain may be coming close to a default because Barcelona city leaders have announced a cut in future race subsidies. Why is this not raising every bell and whistle in Mr. Bernie's head that, you know, something's wrong with the picture and perhaps it's the payment structure to his extortion fees? Well, I, I think as long as there are, um, I don't know if third world country is the best way to describe Azerbaijan, but as long as there are regimes like Azerbaijan who are willing to turn around despite having absolutely no motorsports pedigree whatsoever and throw wads of cash at Bernie in order to bring a race in, he doesn't care. Well, and that's the problem. I mean, the fact that he was ever willing to pull a race of an F1 race from England seems to be mm-hmm. just ridiculous. And there's a lot of people who are still upset that he pulled the race out of France. Yeah. Um, and there's still question marks over Germany. Now, we know 2016 is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the race will be at Hockenheim. But the question is, what happens in 2017? Because, you know, last year it was supposed to be at Nür- Nürburgring. Nürburgring didn't want to pay the extortion fee and backed out of the race. There's been nothing talked about for 2017. Odds are Hockenheim can't handle it. Now, let's get 2016 happening before we worry about 2017 at this point. But there is word that Monza may be nearing on a, nearing a seven-year deal. Awesome. The other question becomes Pirelli. And, okay. you know, we think that they're good, you know. They, they got the contracts, naming them as sole tire supplier until 2019. Um, but it's a three-year deal, which still hasn't – well, it was supposed to be ratified by the World Motorsport Council in December. There's been no announcement in any of the media releases saying that that deal was ratified. And there's some rumors flying around that that ratification wasn't even discussed. Hmm. Yeah. Now, what we – do know is that Pirelli has agreed to bridge and board commercial terms for track size advertising through 2020, which means that they can cut out everybody else up. Okay. So, you know, Michelin can't come in, or, or Bridgestone can't advertise at an F1 track. So that's the question there. But we'll see. Well, you remember what Eddie says is once Bernie shakes your hand, it's a done deal. Yes. You don't have to wait for it being ratified. Wait, didn't he say that about um, actually um, Ron Dennis? I don't remember. <laughs> Somebody shakes your hand, it's a done deal. <laughs> so that brings us to a new segment. A new segment? You know, in the off season, writers tend to be looking for things, especially Formula One writers, tend to be looking for whatever they can 
to just fill column inches. Podcasters. Yeah, there's a few podcasters that seem to do that as well. Um, so that brings us to our new segment, which we will call, I can't believe they got paid for this. So our first story that I cannot believe that somebody got paid to write comes from Autosport, who put forth an engine or put forth an article uh, quoting Daniel Ricardo saying that Red Bull could win with a Mercedes F1 engine. Well, yes, absolutely. With the fastest engine on the grid, Red Bull could win. They could also win with a rocket engine and maybe even a time machine on the back of the car, too. I could win with a TARDIS. Yeah. Well, actually, you could finish the race before you started with a TARDIS. See? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sort that one out. Okay. Our second story, because we were graced with two stories that we cannot believe that anybody actually got paid for. Once again, coming from Autosport. Lewis Hamilton predicts more F1 dominance in 2016. Again, let's go back to the team with the fastest engines on the grid and arguably the best drivers on the grid. Hmm. Is it really a hard leap that they're going to dominate again? Well, no, not even that. I mean, it's possible that they're not going to dominate again. However, at the end of the 2015 season, they were dominating. Mm -hmm. And there has been no news that would change that piece of information. So why would you expect that Lewis Hamilton would come out and say in any way, shape, or form, you know what? I think we're going to kind of suck this year. Yeah. yeah, we're really struggling with that engine now. It was looking really good, but a lot of the parts have expired. And <laughs> yeah, it's in the end. No. Billy Bob in the back end, he's having trouble getting the flywheel on right. You know, yeah. <laughs> I burned ham- out a clutch. I don't know. <laughs> we need new hamsters, and there, there's an endangered species. And yeah, no. <laughs> Speaking of no news should mention this a little odd we haven't heard a single bit of news since the season ended from our friends over at manor marusha you know the season ended and graham loudon who is the sporting director left the principal john booth left we heard a couple of rumbles regarding that they were interested in some folks but didn't actually hire anybody we haven't heard anything about a driver lineup. We haven't heard anything about the en- the engines or anything related to the Mercedes deal. It, it's gotten really quiet. I think that uh, Graham Loudon took the phone numbers for the press when he left. Maybe. And we are also pointedly ignoring any comments that Monisha Keltenborn has made. <laughs> because she has once again been speaking to the press about her feelings of where Formula One is. And honestly, at this point, Monisha, shut the hell up. Monisha and You're Mother Nature, go helping home. The You're team. drunk. <laughs> You're not helping the team. You have enough problems as it is. Shut up. <laughs> go home. You're All drunk. right. So. If you are a Formula One fan, and you only like us if we talk about Formula One. We don't know why, but whatever. <laughs> You remember back in grade school when we used to listen to those film film strips and you'd hear the ding to change the film strip? 
this is the ding. This is the time that you can turn us off safely and know that you will not miss any amazing Formula One information. However, if you like to listen to us about amazing test lab... Actually, before you, you, you kick over to that, I, I have one last thing that, you know, for, we want to hear from all of our listeners, even if you happen to be a listener named Todd. Now finish. Okay. <laughs> now, if you do like to hear about our items that are coming in and out of the test labs... And, about our vacations, about, you know, the navel lint that's coming out of Michael's navel. Um, I don't talk about that because it's gross. You know, these are this is what we will be contemplating for the next few minutes in the show. So this is your moment. If you are a Formula One fan signing off, we truly appreciate you, and we would love for you to leave us feedback in all the appropriate locations. Yes. It, it, it's okay. We, we know you're listening, even if you don't want to admit it. All right. Now, moving on to our test lab. So, a few months ago, actually, I should even go beyond that. We are photography enthusiasts. Um, we both have been shooting with Canon digital SLR cameras for several years now. Uh, my main camera is a... Uh, EOS 60D, and yours is a Rebel T2i. Yes. Is, is your main camera. Um, we love them. Love. They're fantastic cameras. We, we've done some great work with them. Um, they're, they're pretty much muscle memory when we take them out because we, we like the interfaces, and, and they do great stuff for us. However, they're big. They're not huge. They're not huge. Mine is my camera is bigger than yours. The 60D is a larger one. <laughs> Take that however you want. But the 60D is a bigger camera than the T2i. So I took a trip a couple of months ago and was looking for something a little more compact because I couldn't take my big camera bag with me. Right. And uh, in the previous version of the Bloke and the Bird show, we had talked about the Micro Four Thirds family of cameras that back then were just coming out. And quite frankly, Michael has been jonesing, lusting. Well, we, we tested one. As you'll recall, we tested the Fuji X10 not long after it had come out, which was a micro four-thirds camera, which basically it's a smaller sensor in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a fixed lens. And... I think the verdict we came away with it was that it takes really nice pictures, but it wasn't flexible enough, and that made us annoyed. Right. Well, the field has grown a little. Not a, it really hasn't expanded like we thought it would. Um, but there are much more interchangeable lens versions of the Micro Four Thirds cameras out there. And picked up what is arguably probably the most competitively, most aggressively priced of the Micro Four Thirds cameras out there, the Olympus Pen EPL-6, um, which retails for $299 with a 1442 lens. Which is a nice basic lens. Yeah. Um, It's a very small, lightweight camera about the size of, without the lens, it's probably slightly larger than an iPhone. Yeah. Um, With the lens... Obviously a little bigger because that lens projects out. The camera is a 16-megapixel camera. It does not have a, a, an optical viewfinder, so you're relying on the 
very nice LCD display screen on the back. <laughs> that is arguably, that display screen in its own right is probably one of the crispest and clearest display screens I've seen on a camera ever. Yes. Which is beautiful. good because you rely on it. Right. It's beautiful. Um, some of the other big specs, uh, average battery life is about 36 photos, has 35 autofocus points, um, continuous shooting of eight frames per second. Yet it weighs just shy of three quarters of a pound. <laughs> I mean, it, it packs a lot into a very little camera. Right. Um, gives you all the functionalities of an SLR, just without the viewfinder. Right. Now, what I found when I took it off the first time I used it was a couple months ago. I took it down to Ecuador with me and um, rapidly found that as much as I got used to, I was used to shooting in manual mode with the Canon, I didn't like doing it with this camera. I just found it, that was the level of futzing that Patricia complains about all the time. Well, it was the fact that because you, with that compact size, you don't necessarily have all the dials exactly, you know, the muscle memory's not there. You don't have the dials where you want them to be. It's so not as intuitive for doing it, is what Right. It just was not as intuitive. It was a lot easier to shoot in automatic. Um, and I, it does a great job in automatic. It really does. Um, I did have two negatives to my whole experience when I took it out, mm -hmm. um, which I guess we will get to in a few minutes. But overall, I found the automatic to be very intuitive and figure out kind of what it was looking at and, and catch what you wanted. You know, I found that when it came to taking pictures, the best mode to throw it in was automatic with the screen set up so that you had the levels right there on the screen to make sure you're, you're, you're holding the camera level <laughs> as you're taking the picture. And with a camera that small, yeah, that really helps. <laughs> it really helped. My issues were, well, I had three main issues with the camera. First was its focus point. Mm -hmm. I was having a hard time getting it to focus where I wanted it to focus. Well. And that some of it is just learning the interface. Yeah. Um, the other was I sometimes wanted it on and at the ready, but I wasn't holding it to um, take a picture. Mm -hmm. And so it would bump, you know, it would bump oh, you, and you, the, you tap the screen. screen and it would take the picture. So I had a lot of pictures of the ground, the person in front of me, my hand. Yeah, you can release own the shutter. My forehead at one point. And tapping the screen. That was that part. I think that just takes a little getting used to. Yeah. Um, and I now have suddenly lost what my third issue was with the with the automatic mode but it was it was around the fact that just getting it just right the way i wanted it mm -hmm. was just a little oh right speed that was the other one was i found that it took a little while to write to the see i never noticed that the um because i would take the picture and the screen would go black. And I don't know if it was the right speed to the piece that I was missing the shot. I don't think I missed the shot. But I think it was more of getting it for that next shot. I, I think 
I, yeah, I, I think it was more just the, the shutter getting ready for the, the next shot. I don't think you were losing it. It wasn't like, I think it was our second digital camera that we had, which was a Sony, and I don't remember which particular one it was. But that had such incredible shutter lag that you could never give the camera to somebody else to take the picture because they'd press the button, you hear the shutter, and then it was another second or two before it actually wrote it to the card. And typically by then they had moved and didn't get any. No. Not an issue with this camera. No, and I will say I got some very good shots. Yeah. I just found that when I wanted to take sort of multiple shots in kind of rapid fire succession, I found the wait time between the shots was obnoxious. Well, it does have an eight frame per second continuous shooting speed. And I might so have that I might have wanted to use the burst thing and I was doing this without, you know, manuals yeah. and playing with all of the bells and whistles. This was going out and just flying. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the camera has the ability, not as most digital cameras nowadays do, not just to shoot still pictures, but video as well, a full HD quality video. And again, for a tiny little camera with a little rinky-dink microphone that's built into the side of it, the sound quality it captures was pretty good too. We took it to one of our son's swim meets and shot several of the races from the stands in the indoor swimming pool. The sound was clear. The video was, I think the biggest limitation was the how wide the lens that we were using, the original lens, that, that kit lens, mm-hmm. um, and how wide that that lens was. We couldn't quite zoom in as tight as we really wanted to. With the, the second lens that we got, uh, which is the, uh, I want to say that's the 18-150 is the lens we picked up. Actually... 4150. I was close. Yeah. <laughs> um, the 4150, we found that that zoom is a whole lot better. Um, but the video quality that we got, crystal clear. We took it uh, while we were on vacation and beamed it wirelessly from our Mac to an Apple to a 60 inch uh, eight curved HD TV, and it was crystal clear. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Pretty and- cool. No artifacts from all the motion, anything like that. Just crystal clear video. And for a camera this small to provide that kind of video quality is fantastic. I mean, I guess you shouldn't really be that surprised. You can capture 4K video with a GoPro. And those are tiny, but still. Well, yeah, and you can, you know, capture decent quality pictures and camera and video with your own iPhone, too. Mm -hmm. But this takes it to a different level, and you get some professional quality with this camera so what i would say mm-hmm. my verdict on this camera and looking at the pictures and the quality of the pictures that i got out of it is if you are looking for a carry around camera that is small compact fits in your purse mm-hmm. ladies above your your cell phone but you don't want to carry the big slr camera um for your your travels, you're looking for the weekend away and you just want to have something, you can get pictures that you would want to put on your wall with this camera. Absolutely. And And for just $299. For a Micro Four Thirds camera, it's fantastic. That's about $100 to $150 less than 
a more micro four-thirds camera from just about anybody else out there. And that includes the lens. A lot of these other cameras don't include a lens at that point. Right. And I was also going to suggest that you add the $100 for the longer lens so that you have a little bit of flexibility. Well, you want you, you need to catch that on sale. You caught it on sale. We're able to get it for $100. Otherwise, it's a, it's 299 for the lens. <laughs> so you're you're paying twice as much for the camera at that point. But I think that lens really helps that versatility a lot. Yeah, I think it definitely is worth the value of having that longer lens. But we literally, for those walking around moments, you're going to get some really great shots. I also see this being a good camera for the the grandparent who wants, you know, that wants the camera for the grandkids and wants mm -hmm. that kind of uh, pictures, but doesn't want to be hauling around the big SLR. Yeah, definitely any of the micro four-thirds, but this one for the price point is uh, a good option for them. So, uh, again, it's the Olympus Pen EPL6 digital camera with 14 42-millimeter lines. And uh, I think we both uh, give it our recommendation. I give it one thumb up. I'll give it the other one. Way good to go. And, uh, you know, on that note, we will remind you, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, your opinions on the Adrian Newey engine comments or whether or not Mercedes or, or Red, Red Bull could actually win with a Mercedes engine, whether you agree with Daniel Ricardo or if, you know. I think we could probably start a really deep-seated debate as to whether or not Patronus Unicorn Horn Fuel versus total uh, sperm whale secretion. Sperm, yes, sperm whale sweat. <laughs> sweat fuel is, ex you know, which of those two would be more powerful? Both, both of those, I think, would be valid discussions to have. So you can and, find us. And, and what uh, fuel company will come up with Leviathan fuel yeah. first? Probably ExxonMobil. No, I thought they recycled polar bears. Oh, that's right. That, that was polar bear extract. So BP would be um, Leviathan fuel, which they would leak all over the Gulf. <laughs> Leviathans are pretty large, so I would think that would BP would all be all perfect for that. Can we insult anybody else in this podcast? Well, we haven't gone after Petrobras, and we haven't gone after PD Vesa. Well, you did go after PD Vesa when well, you that said that they sponsored Crashing McCrasherson. And Petrobras has got enough problems because aren't they being investigated for paying off some Brazilian officials? Yeah, there's some bribery going on there. But it's not bribery. You just paid them to do what you asked them to do. Yeah. That is Bernie logic. That's the Bernie Eccleston logic. All right. <laughs> and on that note, I think we should call this a show. It's a show. It's a show.